The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. This week's episode of PSVG Prime is brought to you by the very special folks over at patreon.com slash PSVG who help make this show happen. But a special thank you to Edwin Callow, Barry Cathcart, Chris M., Paul Calico, Kyle Heyman, Benny Lou, and Joel Voss, a.k.a. Professor Switch. Thank you so much for your support. As always, we greatly appreciate it and tip our hats to you, gentlemen. Also, a big thank you to everybody who listens to the show, but if you are interested in joining our Patreon, here's what you get. Uh, you get Each month, you get exclusive episodes of PSVG DLC, Arcadia Academia, Kevin Hates Everything, as well as the now Bored With Everything. On top of that, you get entered into monthly giveaways. Current offerings include $20 to Apex Legends, $20 to the eShop of your choice, or a spiffy PSVG baseball cap. To get in on all the action and to help support us, head on over to patreon.com slash psvg now before we get on with this week's show i do also want to do a quick shout out to extra life if you're not familiar extra life is thousands of gamers coming together to help sick and injured children by partnering with the children's miracle network hospitals to raise money to help provide care for kids that need it Extra Life, basically what happens is gamers will unite, uh, raise funds, and then stream for 24 hours straight. Uh, The official Extra Life Marathon weekend is 11-2, which recently we've just decided that uh, myself and Josh Borboni from Board with Video Games will be joining a crew of people, uh, Nintendo Guru, Sean Capri, uh, Mr. Badbit, as well as many others, uh, up in New York to stream on those times, so tune in for that for more details. Uh, But if you would like to have a part and join here, uh, we would appreciate you volunteering to raise money, spreading the word, uh, and cheering on streamers that they participate in the marathons. Our own very special Nathan Thomas, who's done this for many, many years, uh, would like us to direct you, if you'd like to donate, over to his page over at extra-life.org slash participant slash N as in Nathan, T as in Thomas. His 24-hour marathon will begin the morning of November 7th. So please stop by to cheer, make fun of him, donate, hang out, or just check out to see if he's still awake. Some of his games will, of course, include Apex Legends, Gears 5, and, you know, who else knows what's going to tickle his fancy. If you donate, though, at least $50, you can have him play any game on Game Pass for at least 50 minutes. So if you want to see him play something absolutely terrible, find the worst game you can on Game Pass, donate $50, it all goes to a great cause, and laugh your butts off. And also, side note, any donation you make is also tax deductible. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. So thank you for your support. Everyone check out extralife.org slash participant slash NT. But now, on to this week's episode of PSVG Prime. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of PSVG Prime, the flagship show of Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Is I your host, not Kevin Austin? That is right. I, Kyle Hyman, have wrestled control of this show away from the man, the myth, the Justin Warner impersonator himself, because I had a deep desire to talk VR. And I'm lucky to have the regular co-host and funniest member of PSVG with me, Lucas Rose. How are you, sir? 
Hey, I'm doing well. I'm glad to be back. I missed 200, but I'm here now for VR, and that's what's important. That's right, and I'm very excited because we don't get to podcast together very often. I feel like this is maybe the first time. It's one or two. It's definitely one or not, two. Yeah. not very often. And, you know, while Lucas and I are pretty great and Lucas is very dashing and hilarious, we do want to ensure our conversation is filled with actual, important, factual information as well. So with that, we are thrilled to welcome back to the show the industry titan himself, Mr. David Fox. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Industry titan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to go, you know, subtle yet accurate. And I feel like Titan kind of does that, doesn't it? Uh, I, I can't know. think of one Titan <laughs> that is subtle. <laughs> any, any any word that I've heard makes me squirm. Like I, people who said legend and I said, oh, <laughs> but well, it's okay. I was so trying to go. Want. I was trying to go a little different than legend and Titan. I feel seems appropriate for the work you've done. So we're very thankful for your time this evening. Okay. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, like I did say at the top, this show is going to be a bit different than the typical PSVG Prime. Having a guest like David is a rare treat. So while his last appearance looked back at his past in games and the things he's worked on and the influence he's had, this episode we're going to focus on looking forward and on the path he's helping to blaze in the industry. And what does this mean for us? Our episode tonight is completely dedicated to VR. Uh, all of our histories with it, David's knowledge and experience about it, and our favorite games so far. So enough with this housekeeping stuff. Let's just get into it. David, talk to us a little bit about your history with VR. Sure. Well, um, I have to go back a, a, a ways. Like even before Lucasfilm, um, I was starting to imagine, it's in the mid '70s, um, being a part of creating some sort of an interactive theme park, like, you know, imagine interactive Disneyland. And by interactive, I mean, you know, where it's, you know, where it changes every time you do a ride, you have control. We're we're actually starting to get to that point now with, you know, with the new Star Wars um, area that Disneyland and I guess Orlando both launched recently, which I haven't gotten to see yet. Um, But even then, you you still have a lot of limitations because, you know, these are, you know, like what two or three minute experiences. If you cut out the, um, you know, the onboarding and the pre-show and all the other stuff that happens around it, um, I I was picturing something like you know hours or maybe even days where you'd be in this experience and the whole thing would be fully interactive. And this was really the start of my my time in computer games. They said, okay, if this is where the future might end up being, what do I need to learn in order to end up there? And that was kind of the guiding principle that got me into first me and my wife opening our computer access nonprofit computer center in 1977 and writing books on computers and then learning about doing games and then getting, being in the right place at the right time to join Lucasfilm games. Um, when it first started, so I was employee number three there, and <laughs> and and you know, when I first went there, I I told Peter Langson, who was our our the head of our group then, that I really like to do this you know interactive Disneyland thing. He said, "Oh, that sounds kind of cool, but we're going to do home games right now, maybe someday in the future." And he was there for a few years, and when we kind of transited from being more of a R, VR, no, sorry, R&D research group 
um, to actually production group, he left and then Steve Arnold came on as our general manager and I told him my dream. And he actually had been involved with, um, with doing stuff like this, I guess with um, Jordy Weissman and the virtuality group, I think it was. Um, and so he, he understood what I was talking about, but he also said, well, right now we're going to do home games uh, maybe at some point. And uh, after doing, after being there for eight years, um, maybe it was like seven or eight years, I just finished working on, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is 30 years ago, anniversary this year. <laughs> um, he, you know, we realized that we had grown quite a bit since we first started. We had kind of a flat hierarchy. Uh, everyone was pretty much reporting to Steve Arnold. And when he had 65 people doing that, it was impossible. So he asked me if I could be the director of operations for a year to help transition from this this old way of doing it to having you know, more, more middle management really and um, so I came on I was really the the direct report for all the programmers and the game designers they reported to me and I reported to Steve and I brought in new heads of different groups and he said if you do this for a year then at the end of that year let's we can do a location-based entertainment project and uh, I think even then, as part of my task, I was starting to follow virtual reality. Gerald Lanier got to visit his facility like around 1990. Um, tried experimenting, creating a like a mini graphic, a mini you know, VR puzzle, just where you have to do a bunch of things in a certain order for something to happen. And it was kind of fun, although the equipment was super clunky at the time. <laughs> I knew that it, we weren't there yet. Um, and I got to do this project um, after I was able to turn over director of operations to Lucy Bradshaw. Um, I ended up doing uh, being a part of this new small group called Rebel Arts and Technology, where we did the Mirage project with Hughes Simulation. It's a Hughes aircraft that um, was doing professional flight simulators, like for military and for airlines. So they took care of the technical end of it um and we did the creative end of it like you know, the design the game design the um the design of the actual pod what it was going to look like and there's a video i could you know we, put, we could put the show notes uh that people can look at that i posted on youtube from this is from around 1992 93 and you know we built it um i got to do a star wars game first star wars game ever that i got to do and very much like my first rescue on fractalist game, except with a um, million dollar computer system and and 120 degree field of view and two person pod where you're looking out of a window and because of the curve of the mirror, the collimating mirror, you're basically focusing at infinity instead of five feet away from you. So you feel like you're flying through this fast landscape. And we did, you know, surround sound and he had an Amiga computer as our heads down display. <laughs> and and um, it was really awesome. And it was multiplayer. So they had other systems, um, not pods, but, you know, workstations at the time. So you could actually do dogfights and, and um, you know, go through the mission. And um, unfortunately, um, it, it did get shown at the IAPA, which is the amusement 
park conference that happens a couple of times a year. Um, but because of the costs at the time for the hardware, it was just too expensive for theme parks really to, to purchase the system and maybe a little bit too clunky um, compared to, you know, what you could do now. I mean, you could do way better graphics now than you could then on these million dollar Evans and Sutherland image generators um, on my, I could do better on my iPhone. <laughs> so um, the, you know, it's come a long way, but that's what I was thinking. Like I wanted to do something which was out of the home, I call location-based entertainment, uh, very immersive. And, you know, when I left, when, when we closed down our group, we realized that we weren't going to do it anymore. By then Steve Arnold had moved on. I think he was the biggest proponent in this inside of Lucasfilm. And after he left, I don't think there was anyone high enough up who said, we have to do this. It's the future. Um, so everything just closed down and I couldn't imagine going back to doing home games anymore. So I thought, okay, this industry is about to take off. I got one or two consulting gigs and then I just kind of died. And, you know, there was a great experiment that Disney did Disney quest. Um, I think they had a few of them. The big, the big one I went to was in Orlando. It's a five story building filled with, you know, standard coin op arcade, but also a bunch of VR experiences that were combination of pod based type things and virtual reality you know, headsets you put on running off of Silicon graphics um, computers. So, you know, price significantly less than what we were doing, but still very expensive and headsets were clunky. They had to hang them from wires so they didn't, you know, you didn't break your neck when you were <laughs> using them. And um, that was that was very cool, but that kind of you know got closed down. So I don't think they continued creating new content. So at some point, it just kind of, I guess they realized that they had to close it. Um, so I kind of had never really given up on wanting to do this, but had to wait until the technology caught up. Um, probably the the closest thing to well, I wouldn't say it's close thing. The 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 one thing I got to do with with my wife Annie in the, about twelve years ago was to design some overlay games at Disney theme parks, and you know they weren't VR or AR; they were um, very low tech. The one that actually got created at Tokyo Disney Sea is still there, and I finally got to see it last year uh, when we went to Japan, and. It's basically, you know, a treasure, a map-based treasure hunt where you're going through and picking up things. But it was still the idea of doing something in a really cool environment, almost like a mist-like um, series of buildings with with staircases going in all different directions. Um, it's called the Leonardo the Leonardo Challenge, like Leonardo da Vinci, and you can Google it, and there's YouTube videos of people doing walkthroughs of that, um, and then more recently, um, VR started happening. You know, I think Oculus is probably the, the company that broke the barrier and actually got consumer price range or somewhat consumer price range uh, systems out there. And you know, I've seen a, a lot of advances, like you know, real advances or incremental, well, incremental changes, but getting to the point where this is really a good system. Um, 
and finally bought my own system last at the end of last year and have not had enough time to do all that I want to do. I got a whole bunch of games into this massive backlog of <laughs> games that I haven't played yet. And I, I realized that I'm I'm not really a gamer. I mean I I I love checking it out. I love the research part of it. And I'm much more I have much more fun actually creating the games and, and designing the whole process. And that's that's where my passion is rather than jumping in and playing someone else's game. But, you know, when I find one which is really awesome, I'll, I'll play it for a while, hopefully until I get the, you know, learn what they did and, and the lessons that were provided and then and then move on. So that's a lot for, <laughs> for me to say. That's So that's kind of where I am now, but like really, really in a R&D mode, going to VR conferences, talking to people, making you know, finding out, out who's doing stuff in this field, f- figuring out what do you have to do with the idea of a graphic adventure, which is really most of the games I've done were graphic adventures. How do you do the equivalent of a graphic adventure in a in an immersive space, in a VR space? Mm-hmm. And what are the what are the tools, what are the, the rule, rules you have to follow in order for it to work? Um, very much like um, other transitions as new media developed, you know, so like the transition from theater to film and all these new, all this language of filmmaking that came into being over, over decades, um, inventing new ways to tell the story when you really didn't have to have a stationary point of view, looking at a, a bunch of people doing, you know, acting as you would in a theater. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, direct attention uh, by having one of the actors walk on stage and, and you know, have a spotlight draw your attention there. You could do a close-up. You could do multiple shots. You could do, you know, dolly shots. You could um, cut away to a completely, completely different scene or cut, you know, cut scenes essentially in graphic adventure parlance and end up you know, with a whole different you know, very different media than you than you did with with theater, but now with in VR, it's we're kind of you know the thing got for this last conference I went to is that you know this is actually a lot closer to theater than it is to film, and we've been thinking filmmaking for a long time and trying, but a lot of the things from film don't work here. I mean, really, if someone's in a space, you it's really hard to do a cutscene because that would be really you know, all of a sudden you're transported to a different scene or would you see it as a little, maybe if you saw it as an inset that could work, but to really pop them somewhere else or move them somewhere else um, could be nausea inducing. Um, yeah. It could be very confusing. And how do you, you know, since you're no longer controlling the camera, um, how do you make sure that the person sees the interactions you want them to see? And I'm realizing this is closer to theater techniques where you might use spotlights, you might use an actor walking on stage and saying something, so you turn around to find the actor. Um, and you can move yourself towards this, you know, this, the, towards them into the scene, but you really can't um, very easily move, move the camera um, without your choosing to do it, without ending up with something could be really discomforting. So um, that's kind of where, where it is now. People are still figuring out what are the 
standards, like, you know, how, you know, if you don't want to move the person, if you don't want to do this, you know, how, how do you develop the, the language and the, the vocabulary, really, of, of VR storytelling? Um, you know, lots of different ways to do it. And that's kind of, I'm intrigued with what, what the, are the ways that people have used to solve these issues. Very cool. And I, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about the uh, stage versus film, because that that sounds like something that I think, especially Lucas, I think would get behind and find it very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is a really cool analogy. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into that too quick, though, Lucas, what is what has been your experience previously? You know, kind of what's your history with VR? OK, I think mine is going to be pretty relatable to most people. Um, I remember as a kid around 10 to 12 years old looking at gaming magazines around the Genesis uh, time period and seeing just all of the the stuff that Sega was coming out with. You know, the Genesis was always terrible with the peripherals that were coming out. They had the vest that you could feel actual gunshots and hits and stuff. They had the the trackpad thing on the ground where you, you could walk and it really walks and you know, who knows how it actually worked. But my 12 year old brain was thinking, Oh, this has got to be flawless. This is going to be so cool. And one of those things, if I remember correctly, was VR was, um, going to come to the Sega Genesis at some point. Um, I don't think it was actually real VR. I've seen stuff on YouTube about it now, really more of like a 3d glasses type deal, but, uh, either way, a, a headset, and that kind of stuff, just all of that stuff always piqued my interest in, you know, I, I always wanted to try it out, but never really got an opportunity to. And then sort of all of that kind of died away a little bit. And then 3D 3D movies kind of came around and started getting more popular. And I was like, eh, this is kind of cool. You know, everyone else hates it, but I, I kind of like it. Um, I don't seem to mind it too much. And so that kind of got me more interested. And then I heard about the VR headset, you know, the Oculus was was coming up with and uh, Lucky Palmer, Palmer Lucky. I always get it backwards. <laughs> um, so it kind of reinvigorated that interest that I that kind of was laying dormant that entire time and and brought me back to being kind of a kid again. And so when I saw it and was kind of. You know, should I should I get in on the ground floor of this technology? Should I be an early adopter? I'm not really an early adopter of hardly anything, honestly. But this was the one chance that I thought, okay, you know, I wasn't there when Nintendo first launched the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Atari or, or whatever, however far you want to go back. But I could be there for virtual reality if it actually takes off. And so I did eventually decide, my poor wife was like, I remember when it was finally announced the actual cost of um, what the rift was going to be. And I, I said, oh, no. And I talked to my wife and I was like, OK, it's like a little bit more than what we thought it was going to be a little bit more expensive. And she's like, well, how much more expensive? And I'm like, mm. like two hundred dollars more. And bless her heart. She's like, well, I don't want to be the one who tells you who gets in the way of like your dream. Cause I've talked her ear off about VR. She has no interest in it whatsoever, but she had to hear about it. She's like, I won't get in between you and this. I know how much it means to you. And so, you know, I still remember my day one experience when it finally got here, you know, after delay, after delay, after delay. And, um, yeah. And now here we are. What I think that was April ish, uh, April or May of 2017. Has it been two years now? 
2018? Yeah, it feels like it was longer. Is yeah, it, is it only two it. years? <laughs> <laughs> well, for us, you know, the the poor consumers who had to wait forever, maybe it's been longer. I don't know. My my time. Well, maybe maybe there's. I'm thinking more like when it was announced and how long it took to actually get to market in yes, the consumer version as opposed to developer versions forever. and all that. Yeah, because DK, the developer kits were floating around for quite some time, I right. feel like, before consumer version came out. But uh, but now here we are, and finally, you know, had it strapped to my face, just today, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, if it helps, PlayStation is doing their three-year anniversary for PSVR sale right now. Oh, okay, so, so it must have been more like five or six then. Whew, yeah. goodness gracious, where does the time go? <laughs> so, Ugh. yeah. That's, yeah, that's my that's my background. Uh, my background is, is I think, similar to maybe some folks who have had this experience. And actually, it was something that David alluded to. My first experience with VR was Disney Quest. I was lucky enough to go to Disney World. And me being the gamer that I was, Disney Quest was the place I had to ensure that I went. And I went to Disney Quest, and which, you know, as he also said, does not exist anymore. So I was trying very hard to remember what all the experiences were that I had there. Uh, and it was definitely some VR. There was definitely some AR experiences. I remember there was one where you're on a ship and you're firing cannons and you have the screens in front of you and you're shooting other ships. Uh, so that, as you're going that was by. like a that was kind of like a cave like experience where you were, um, I believe they had video on the walls around you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember there was one which was Aladdin's magic carpet ride, which was a, a real VR experience where you're yeah. sitting on kind of like um, almost like on a horse, but it was really supposed to be a magic carpet and flowing through the bazaar. And, and, and the imagery was very much like very close to, you know, the movie um, cartoon. Um, wow. There, there was a, a pod type thing where you had um, – multiple stations in the front and back where you could shoot and you're kind of going through like a warlike, um, maybe you're in a battle tank type type vehicle. Uh, but it was a sit down pod experience. Yeah. There, there was some kind of a sword thing that you, that you would do in VR with a VR helmet. Um, there was a, um, uh, a ra- rubber raft that you would yep, get into. I do remember the, remember yeah. that one? Remember yeah. the raft one? I remember the Aladdin one. Cause the Aladdin was like, I'm pretty sure there was an Aladdin one with a carpet. Um, I know there was one, and maybe this was the tank one you were referring to where on the floor or in the floor, there was like this, these cars driving around. Oh yeah. That was a different one. So those are the, those are remote control cars with cameras mounted on them. So you could look down through the, the transparent floor. It's basically, I think basically a plexiglass floor and see like a maze with miniature Indiana Jones style set below your feet, but you, you're at a station like look like an upright arcade where you were steering the car and you had the point of view uh, camera from the car itself. So you see so you're driving this little miniature car, seeing what what was the car was seeing. And if you got confused, you could try to find your car down below you somewhere in the maze and figure out what you had to do. Oh. Um, that was kind of cool. Yeah, and then the, I think I think this was there was the design your own roller coaster was that at Disney Quest as yeah, well? I think so. Yeah, and that was more like a 360 rotation thing. Yeah, you like would stand at a thing and you'd design your roller coaster and then you'd bring your card to you know the worker and they would plug it in and you would get in a you know a, a little ball and they would shut it and they would like strap you in and then the thing would spin like while everything was playing on the screen in front of you. Yeah, I didn't wow, do that one. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I, I knew it. my limitations at the time. But yeah, um, so, are horrible. What year is this? Around? Oh, 
okay, I didn't go to Disney until I was in my early 20s for the first time. So it would have been early thousands, like 2000. Okay. Yeah, early yeah. thousands is what it would have I, been. I think I probably went around 90, 1998-ish around there. So they, I think it was there for at least like seven years, at least eight years. Um, I don't know if they continue making new content. I know they traded out a couple of things there. Um, I think the, yeah. Um, when we went, I went, I went there with my son and, and I think he might've been 13 at the time. So that's why I put it around 98. Um, there was a pay one price option. And so you pay like twenty dollars or something, and you could be there for the whole evening, and all the all the gameplay was free, mm-hmm. and that was especially fun. So you didn't have to really, you know, worry, you know, whether to, you know, whether you should go on these, you know, can I can't go on that again. It's too expensive. It's just you just <laughs> are very committed. I think we were there to like midnight or two a.m. or something. It was open really late. Yeah, because it was awesome. in what you know used to be "quote unquote" downtown Disney, so it was open late. So it was a thing you could go do after the parks if you wanted, uh, mm-hmm. and it was included. I'm pretty positive it was part of my park hopper pass nice. that I could go as like after my day at the park and then go like the water parks and all that good stuff are included. That's for Kevin, the Disney nerd out there. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so that was really my my first uh, foray into VR, and and I was hooked. I thought it was great, and then. You know, I, I didn't really have any other opportunities, and I saw Oculus coming out and all that stuff, and I'm not a PC gamer. I never have been, uh, but I am a big console gamer, so when PlayStation announced that they were having VR, I got very excited. I was a day-one adopter for PSVR, and that's to date the only VR uh, headset I own. Uh, but for me, it really was just an opportunity to play games differently. And, you know, a lot of people were comparing it to 3D television and all that, but I, I really truly think this is just a different way to play and experience games that you can't get um, when you're playing on a flat screen. So Yeah, I, I think comparing it to 3D TV, is, it sounds like that would be someone who hasn't experienced it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, there there is, and, and, and for for people listening to this, if you haven't tried it, you know, one of the best ways to try it is to see if there is a, like a, a LBVR location-based virtual reality center in your neighborhood or in your city or, or within two hours of you and go try it. Cause that's, you know, relatively inexpensive way to get in if you don't have a friend that has a system. Um, but the, the difference is this, uh, between you know looking at a screen and knowing that you're seeing a movie or whatever or, or gameplay and and the sense of immersion and um, the word presence is used yeah. a lot you know if if all of a sudden it switches from you watching a, a, in some form of entertainment to really being there and enough of your senses get fooled to convince your brain that you're there and I mean, have you seen these videos of people like in a, you know, this woman playing a zombie game, zombie shooter, and clearly she's in a kitchen or something and, and zombies are coming around her and uh, attack her. And she's really screaming. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. fake scream. She was like terrified. And, but she I apparently forgot that she could just take the headset off <laughs> and, and, and just from the, from the way that she was reacting, it was like she, she was stuck in a nightmare and that there could be that level of, of of trickery into your brain, even though graphics are not anywhere near um, real life yet. 
um, it, it's enough to, to, to fool you. I mean, just the idea that you can turn your head anywhere around and what you see is all still within that environment. Um, if you add other experiences to other sensations to it, um, makes it even more real. Have, have, you, have either of you done anything like the void or um, any of the location-based VR experiences where there's a physical representation that matches the VR representation of things? You know, I, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm actually looking up to see if there's any places nearby uh, where I live because I don't even know if I have one nearby that I can think of. Yeah, you, you might have to wait till the next time you go to Disney World or, or Disneyland or someplace where where there are a lot of um, visitors coming for for amusement type experiences. Um, the Void is probably one of the first ones that tried doing this where they have a, um, a space you walk through um, with your experience, like usually maybe three to I think three other people the one when I did it in Orlando. And I did the the Star Wars experience that they that they have. And I don't remember the exact name, Empire or something. Secrets of the Secrets of the Empire. And um pretty much everything you see that you can touch has a physical component to it, has a real life component. So if you see a bench or a chair there's a chair there, so you could actually sit on it. Or if you see a doorway, um, you can put your hand on the doorway and it's really there. Or if you see a gun on the wall, you pick up the gun because it really is, a, really is a gun there. And something shifted for me when that happened. And then they add a bunch of other things too, like you know, um, uh, vibration effects and wind and heat, sensing heat, like... Um, there's a whole thing with a lava with lava beneath you that you can feel the heat coming out <laughs> from it, and uh, smell and with all those, um, the initial feeling of having to remind yourself that it's that this is VR. Do not try leaning on that table because you're going to fall over if you see a table in VR. To be being able to trust that what your senses are seeing really is there. Then when you see some monster or some creature, whatever, out in front of you, that has a bigger level of reality too, because you're, you've already kind of shifted into a um, that there really is a, a matchup with physical and um, and, and sight mm-hmm. and sound and everything else. So that it's pretty cool. The the downside for some of these are that they're not especially replayable. Um, they're often intended as a one-off experience that you really, I mean, you could get better at, at doing it, but you getting better doesn't give you um, more, doesn't uncover more gameplay. Um, you don't get to the next, there is no next level. Um, you go through, um, at least when I did it, um, I went through twice in a row and learned a few things by talking to the, the manager there between the two things and tried something which... Um, was supposed to solve one of the puzzles faster and the game, whole thing ended sooner. <laughs> so I kind of got better and cheated myself out of a few minutes of gameplay. Um, and when it's like $30 for, you know, for say 10, 15 minute experience when you're inside of it, that's a lot. Um, then there's um, another one that's really cool is in LA in Los Angeles called dreamscape immersive and they're 
if you have a different approach, um, it's, you know, f- six people going together. Um, th- there's some correlation with physical and what you see, but not 100%. Um, and there's, there's are not shooters. Um, they're much more family oriented and more like being in a interactive movie in a sense, because in that there's mm-hmm. a, you're being brought along the story, you move to different areas, you do things, you can reach out and touch some stuff. And, um, yeah, that's when I did with my wife and she's not a gamer and she had a blast and she thought it was really fun and she was really, really enjoyed doing it. And there's a few other that are like that, um, that have com- some have components, some don't. Um, there's, there's also VR one, you know, uh, some that are um, where it's all, it's basically a, an empty stage. So nothing is just, you know, just like doing it at home, you know, nothing is um, physical. There's no correlation, but they're multiplayer and doing a VR multiplayer game with other people there with you is also a really different experience. You generally can't do at home yet. And um, I, I added something for the show notes um, that uh, Ubisoft has been doing in, in, in Germany. They have a studio that's specifically focused on doing VR escape rooms. And, you know, these are, intended to be more like 50, 45, 55 minute long experiences where you go in with, there's are um, either two or four people. And there's a lot of cooperation. You can't have an experienced player run through and, and complete all the tasks because all the tasks or most of the tasks require teamwork. And, um, you know, there's a, you can go to their website and take a look at some of their, um, the ones they've done. They have like 200, locations where they've licensed out their software to various VR centers and you can go there and you can see whether there's one close by and that would be a, a really good first time experience. Um, and there are other companies doing that too. You're doing, you know, for, for VR centers. Um, and a VR center is, it's, you know, it's basically that it could be anything from, you know, having a few set up rooms where you can do multi- multiplayer stuff or, or something like um, uh, like Beat Saber, which is really a one-person game, but you can you, it's great to do audience participation by watching them because <laughs> you can usually the the location-based ver- versions have a, a a full vertical um, HD screen, so you can kind of watch their see what they're doing in front of what they're actually seeing. Oh, that's yeah, cool. So it's a really nice audience um, cheering kind of like you know. And that's one game where where people don't look like um, awkward, you know, <laughs> awkward awkward movement. They actually look pretty cool because um, the moves. Even even I do. I think probably look okay. Um, so anyway, so so that's a pitch for people who want a, a good first time experience to to try it out. Of course, you could probably go to your local Best Buy or some other place and try um try a, a, a the sony playstation version or some of the other ones um uh, i also wanted to mention um that i you know i went to the first my first oculus connect conference I think this is oculus connect six so clearly i missed five of them already <laughs> <laughs> and this was pretty pretty massive i i didn't expect it to be anywhere as big as it was there, i i thought it felt like like five thousand people there and um 
the cost to entry was relatively low uh, compared to other conferences. Like when I just went to was like 1500 normal price and this was like 400 and if you're a developer then it's 200 um so your cost is mostly going to be lodging and transportation to in this case it was san jose california um and since you know oculus was was doing it it was really you know in a sense a big advertisement to for you to become an oculus developer a lot of the sessions were about you know how what's coming up with what their timeline is for new technology and new product rollout of new products and um, how to adapt your VR experience from your PC based version to the to the Oculus Quest um, and you know tutorials on how to do that or, or not tutorials but like you know uh, postmortems of how people did it or or here's what some things you could do to, to make to make it happen and I got to try that unit for the first time. Um, so for those who don't know, Oculus Quest is a relatively new device that came out. It's it technically it's more it's closer to having the insides of a cell phone of a mobile high-end mobile phone built into the headset. So it's um, it's untethered, it's self-contained, you don't need a PC. Um, and you know it comes with a couple of controllers. Um, and I think the retail price starts at $399, and I think there's another one at uh, $200, $200 more, which has a bigger memory. But it's basically it's an Android device inside this unit, so you have to be an Android developer to develop for it. Um, and they showed a couple of new technologies, which were pretty cool. One was hands free, or hand tracking, so it has two cameras in the front, and they got the the software to work pretty well so that it looks at your hands in front of in front of the device and can track your finger point fingertips and then say do a 3d version inside a vr of your hands without needing a controller so you could do experiences without having to have a controller and there was one demo of a um uh farmer's insurance demo and i put that in in the show notes of um basically you're in this kitchen and you have to look around for water damage um like puddles <laughs> of water and you 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 then decide whether this is a cleanup solution or a repair solution and you have a choice either clean up or repair you have to do this all within two minutes and find like all six or eight um, whatever it was, um, places in the room that you have to find and then you know, it times you and then you, you get a prize or you get points, I guess, if, for each one you get correct. And what it did really was show how you could use your hand to open up cabinets without, you know, by swiping and touching or poking and poking on the water and making choices and the, the feeling of being unencumbered with a controller and just using your hands is, is very freeing. And I think it just... It makes it a lot easier for people who aren't gamers to jump into something. Um, I'm watching the video and I can't really tell, and maybe you'll know just from being there. Does it approximate gestures based on what you're doing, or is it really a one to one? Like, if I were to wiggle my fingers independently, would it show up that way? Yes. Or, yeah. okay. So, so where it breaks down a little bit, at least in the version I did, was, um, when your hands, one hand includes the other hand, 
Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm holding my hands, like you can see me on camera, if I hold my hands like this, it's great. If I do this, then it gets confused and just stops. Okay. Or if you have one hand overlapping another hand in any way, then it just it just says, I give up. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and you know maybe Sounds that's something like they can, yeah maybe they they can do that later to make that um, more discernible. But it's just using video to figure out what the shape of your hand is, and then mm-hmm. mapping a 3D version of your hand in the virtual world with you that matches your hand movements. So cool. I did do things like like this, and it was very good at yeah, doing that. Very little, very little I'd lag. I'd assume everybody who tried it for the first time, that's like the first thing they would do is be like, whoa. <laughs> finger, finger wagging or finger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other one I, I tried there, which was not hand tracking demo, was um, Vader Immortal, which yes. is – which was, um, I had not tried this yet. Um, I, since I have a Vive at home, it's not really, it's not made for that, although it might still work. Um, and this was the sec, they were premiering the second chapter, I guess. Okay. Um, I think they're $10 each. And the second one, you learn how to use the force. And that was really cool. It was like a five minute experience of the whole thing, which might only be like maybe an hour, half hour to hour game. But that feeling of being able to reach out with your, here you're using a controller, but reach out and then towards an object and, and just move your hand like you, like you would in the movie, like move your hand. If you're drawing the object towards you, um, there's a whole sequence where you're throwing your lightsaber across the room at something to destroy it with your lightsaber and then it comes back into your hand and feeling like I had control over doing that. And it, it was a very unusual um, feeling of power and control that I had been doing it, which is really nice. Um, I think the first one deals mostly with learning how to use your lightsaber for, for fighting. Um, and the other thing I thought was really interesting was that even though the, the quest is intended as a standalone headset. They announced um, a new feature, which where you can tether it to your PC. So if you do have a high-end PC at home that with a good graphics card, um, you could play any of the um, games designed for the um, uh, you know the the stand you know the, the, the Oculus Home the, or whatever it's called Oculus. Oculus Rift S or any yeah. of those will work on it. And you know, from a developer point of view, that's really great because then you could do a, a, you know, develop on your PC, plug it in, you can see what you're doing without having to download it to the headset. Um, so faster turnaround. But the quality of the graphics are, are more limited by your PC quality which is uh, going to be a lot better than what the rift can do normally in terms of the number of polygons and, and textures and all that and um they have i think initially it's a USB-C cable that you can use anyone but they're going to come up with a 80 dollars cable which is um fiber optic and will also charge your headset while you have it plugged in so you could stay in wow. there for longer and then you could you know play all the other games that haven't been converted to the Quest yet um, uh, that's on Rift. See if you already have a library if you want to buy those. So I think that's that's very cool. And I think they, um, I can't imagine why someone then would buy a Rift if they have that feature. So you just get this, get the cable, you have the controllers, 
You don't need, you know, since it's um, out, inside out tracking, um, instead of having devices in your room, which try to figure out where you are. I have two right now. I'm yeah. Looking at them. They're so <laughs> it, ugly. Yeah. It, it's using all the cameras that are built into the device to figure out where you, where you are looking around in your room. And um, one of the reasons I don't use my Vive as much as I think I would like to is just the, um, the, the friction that there is to get it up and running. And mm. since you know, my primary machine is a Mac, um, I had to buy a, a, a Windows machine to run the, the Vive. Um, I don't run it all that often. So when I do, I have to wait like a half hour for everything to, to update on it <laughs> and every, all the other housekeeping stuff it's doing. And then turn on the, the, uh, the base stations and um, make sure that my controllers are charged and all the other stuff that you have to do. And mm-hmm. often by the time I get that happen, something else comes up and I don't get to sit down and play at that point because of, because of the other stuff. So the nice thing about the Quest is that since it's self-contained, you just pop it on your head. It could do it. I could do it in the living room. I don't need to have. I could go into different rooms in the house and do it because it's not needing the base stations. Um, and uh, it's very cool. So I I think that's that might be uh, one of the first consumer devices where I think it's really um, unless you already have a PlayStation um, where where it's a good way to go and you don't have wires at least you don't have to have wires i should say in this case yeah i think that's the next big step um the oculus touch controllers when i finally got those it's hard to go back to a game where you don't have your your hands in the game you know it's not for all games like a third person game or something like that but any of those first person games where you're used to having your hands it's almost a a deal breaker for me to not be able to use my hands in first person games that feel like they should have them. Um, but I guess to me, the next step was to go wireless. I remember as soon as I got my headset, everyone was trying to come up with different ways to suspend the wire, lengthen the wire, um, you know, all sorts of tethering options. People are using like retractable dog leashes connected to their ceiling so that they don't have to feel the wire on them and they can move around. And a lot of those experiences like the escape rooms that are just the games and they're supposed to be room scale experiences. I personally can't do because I don't have a, that big of a space. And also cause it's oddly shaped. It's not just a open square and I know exactly where everything is. So going wireless, I think is a huge huge deal and the fact that they're thinking backwards and being like okay well let's give it more um support with like if you have a computer like you said let's be able to hook it up and i like the way that they're thinking right now like they're really trying to problem solve some of these big issues and make it more consumer friendly i feel yeah oh go ahead david no i would say yeah i agree Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the interesting thing is they've almost made the Nintendo Switch of VR headsets. Hmm. Because you can kind yeah. of take it with you wherever. You can dock it if you want to, which gives you some advantages and some additional games. In this case, additional games you can play. But otherwise, if you just want to take it with you, the fidelity is not going to be quite as high as some other headsets. It's not going to be able to do some other stuff that headsets could do. But you can play it literally anywhere you want to. So do you think someone's going to come up with a with a pair of head, a headset that you can plug this into and 
and just look through the look at the screen, split the screen, and and do that. I mean, I've seen that for phones. Yeah, people have done that. How how big is the screen compared to your your mobile phone? How wide is it on the switch? On the switch, um, isn't it like six inches approximately? Something like that. Yeah. Okay, well, so it's enough. a little bit bigger. A yeah. little that'd bit be enough bigger. to do it. So you, that would give you enough. Um, if you break it into two parts, you could end up with enough resolution, I think, to to do that. That's how they do it for the Labo headset, isn't it? That it just yeah, basically think, splits yep. it in half. And then it has the little plastic <laughs> lenses in there that, yeah. Of dubious quality. Of dubious, yes. yes. Right. Yeah. From everything I've heard, it's more 3D than it's VR. From yeah, what, I don't that's know, true. Because so. there's no, you don't have the, what is it, 6DOF or depth yep. or yeah. whatever it is. I don't remember yeah. the acronym or whatever. But yeah. I like it. It's good to see that that technology is moving forward and it's not enough just to have a headset and then pump up the resolution numbers per eye or whatever. So right. that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit, obviously, about Oculus Connect 6. You were also at XRDC. Anything from there you'd like to talk about? What What is the future of VR gaming that us who only play don't know about yet? Mm. Well, XRDC was a much smaller conference and it was, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred two to 300 people at the most. Um, and that was, they had, I think four different tracks. You could, you could choose, you didn't have to choose a track, but different topics. So they had four stages with pres, you know, present presentations. One was games. It's where I pretty much spent the whole time. One was on kind of like more, did like medical and real world stuff. And some was innovation. Mm-hmm. So things that were, new technologies that people were showing and um, in the area of games, that's right. You know, I got to see again, the um, presentation by Cyril Voiron. I know he has French. I'm not sure you pronounce V O I R O N Voiron. It's probably, I don't know French, French, so I don't know how you pronounce oh, it. Anyway, I've never seen anything like that for he's French. The executive producer of the Ubisoft escape room games. And, which is based in uh, Dusseldorf in Germany. And they were, um, he was kind of going through a bunch of their, their um, things they've learned because they're, they're assuming people coming in will not have experienced VR and don't want them to have to figure out how to use all these buttons on the controller and um, a bunch of other things. Um, and that was, I thought that was a great talk. It was really fascinating. Um, the other thing that, that I thought was really interesting was um, this thing that called War War Remains, um, based on you know to give you the experience of being in a World War One trench, what trench warfare was like, and Ooh. not something that sounds very pleasant. And did a really good, amazing job. This is another one where amazing level of detail with um, having there be a, a one-to-one correlation with physical and and what you see. And they do things like, you know, they when they built this space, it's like a, um, a, a U-shaped trench that you walk through and different things are happening. And um, the boards, you know, walking on wooden boards because they put those down in trenches to keep you off of the mud. Mm-hmm. But and here they put levels you know, foam rubber or foam underneath the board, so you got that kind of squishy feeling as you're walking on the boards. 
you know, if you saw a hand hanging down like someone had died, there's a hand with, with dog tags hanging dangling. You could reach up and touch the hand and the dog tags. And they had rats in the ground. You could see there's a rat there. You, they first tried doing that, and the rats felt too much like teddy bears. So they pulled out some of the stuffing and put it in a rib cage and, and coated the oh. fur with with glue and slime and um and so it's just you know and, and then you know sound wise you know they um one of the presenters was um a guy named max smith from skywalker sound that did um a lot of their sound work and put a huge amount of attention to making sure you got really really good headphones um full range of of response and then making sure that the surround sound experience was very very immersive um is, is this the experience that's done with dan carlin from hardcore history yes, okay yes. i was like I, I know this is sounding familiar but i can't place yeah. it okay so dan, dan carlin hardcore history was the one i think he designed it and had, okay. he's the i think he narrates the experience it kind of guides you through it um it was shown at the tribeca film festival and there's now they moved it to austin texas and i think you can you know, buy tickets to go on it. Uh, it's one of those things that it's probably an, a really intense, super, super intense experience. Um, I think it might be 10, 10 minutes, 10, 10 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, if you weren't a war buff and, you know, I think if you have, if you've ever been triggered by, by any kind of um, actual fighting action, you probably wouldn't want to do it because it's definitely going to be triggering. Um, for, and they were aware of that, but you know, they, they actually did a lot of research on, you know, what it's like when you have these um, shell bombardments, um, you know, constant bombardments. And, and the, the, the word, you know, the term shell shocked comes from that where people would literally go insane by hearing the constant rumble and, and crashing uh, um, explosions of shells all around them. They weren't all that accurate back then, but they made up for that by having enough of them to to make it, you know, not just damaging, but um, just like really terrifying. So um, I was impressed with what they did in the level of detail. I'm not sure if I want to do it, <laughs> experience this, <laughs> um, but that, you know, that having it felt more like a, an art experience of being put into a different time in. in history and feeling what it would be like um and you could probably do something really light and fun too <laughs> but you know i'm not sure if that if that would get funding if it wasn't you know so super intense um i think the company that did most of the work on that was called um flight school so the two guys who presented were taylor williams of flight school and, and Mark, max smith of skywalker sound um i don't know if these any of these presentations are going to go online at some point, um, you know, maybe because we're videotaping everything, so maybe some of these mm. will be will be live. You can actually see what they did. But there's a link to um, war war warremains.com, so you can probably see some videos, get an idea of what they created. So that was impressive. Um, and uh, there, were, you know, there were other. I really like the talk on Beast Pets, which is a VR home experience. Well, it could be home or, or arcade. Um, and, you know, 
talking more about like, you know, what, what they learned, what you learned about, um, um, having a character in VR looking at you, making eye contact. So they have these little, small dragons that you get to pet and be, you know, make your pets. And at first they had it set up so that the dragons were always looking at you and people started feeling very uncomfortable that, you know, this dragon's staring <laughs> at me all the time. Like, I, I can't get him to stop staring. So they had to add code to, you know, uh, after X number of seconds, it would get distracted by something else in its environment, look away, you know, scratch itself, look at another dragon, um, so that you weren't feeling uncomfortable that it was, st- I, mean, I, I it happens with my dog. Sometimes she really wants something and she'll just be sitting there while I'm trying to watch television looking at me and I tell, I tell her, okay, Gracie, lie down, stop it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, um, you find that balance. So, cause you really feel like you're looking at you in, in VR with eye contact. We're so attuned to whether something's looking at you or not. And they can tune it so that they know where your head is. They know, where it needs to look for where the gaze needs to be for it to do it. Um, and this is even without um, eye tracking um, hardware in, in headsets yet, um, which is coming, which is already available as an add on for some sets headsets. So I know I could talk on this for hours. <laughs> aren't, they, aren't they using the eye tracking thing to try and make like a resolution, pinpoint of where you're looking so they can put all of that heart all of the yeah, work co- fo- into there foveated retina so there's only one part of your retina which is super high resolution it's right in the center yeah. and all the rest is really not the, that that's where all the cones and rods are are focused and that's where you get the best information so if, if the truth is that you know the stuff that's happening in my peripheral vision doesn't need to be very highly rendered um, it's like it's 640 by 480. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's really movement that you're detecting as opposed to resolution. So why waste right. the CPU or, or the the, graph, the GPU on on doing the whole screen at that resolution if you're not looking there? So yeah. I did a demo of a headset with with that built into it a few years ago at the Games Developers Conference, and you know they turned it on, turned it off, and I couldn't tell the difference because obviously where I was looking was <laughs> it was giving me the, the full resolution and people looking at, at the display, the, the PC monitor could see how it blur out or not give the full oh. resolution. There. Um, but by doing that, there, there was a test or demo game that they had where you were um, throwing maybe rocks at bottles and they turned it off, and I would throw a rock at a bottle, and I missed ninety percent of the time. And as soon as they turned it on, it knew which bottle I was looking at, so it would then guide the rock to my destination. Oh. And all of a sudden, I felt like you know, like a superstar. And <laughs> everything I would th- try hitting, I would hit if I just was looking, gazing at at that direction when I was throwing it. That's and so, and of course, you know, characters in the room. Um, you can tell partly by how you're moving your head, but if, if you have your head front and then you look towards the left, it's not going to know that you're looking at a character off to the side. So this would let you other characters know that where your eye gaze is. And um, something else that Facebook was showing was um, some of their work. 
Facebook slash Oculus was some of their work on very high resolution um, avatars and avatars looking to the, to the point where it was difficult to tell the person from the avatar. Um, oh. You know, super, super high quality and all the expressions that they were having were being mapped onto their faces. And so you have cameras watching your face in the mask so it could duplicate your expression in VR. And their eye tracking gets really important because then you want to know whether the person's looking at you or not. And um, social cues. I say when I did the uh, dreams, when the dreamscape experiences with Annie, with my wife, um, um, there they gave, you chose your avatars, but the, the faces were mannequin faces. They were immobile. And when I, when she and I watch a movie or TV or something together, we're always kind of glancing, checking the other person's reaction. (laughs) You think that was funny? I thought that was funny. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, at one point something funny happened in this thing and I looked at her and her, her, avatar was like stone-faced and i said oh i guess she's not having a good time <laughs> and I said, oh oh right the face isn't moving so i and yeah you know, i couldn't hear her talking so i didn't know whether she was laughing or not um i might have been able to, to do that so but you know just a smight, slight smile or just expressions are super important for social experiences where you want to actually see what the, what the other people are doing with their faces so that's coming. So you know, so all these little pieces have already been created, but they're not um, all available for consumer headsets, and a lot aren't even available yet for location-based VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they're coming, and they'll be there probably within a few years. So um, it, it's still advancing a lot. Um, I I don't know if, unless you're an enthusiast. I don't know that I'd recommend anyone putting spending more than four hundred dollars on a on a system at this point, unless yeah. you're a developer or you really really need the best or you already have a, a gaming PC. Um, but it's it's going to change and it's changing fast and people are also learning all the tricks they need to learn to broaden the types of experiences you have and make them like really fun. Awesome. Well, hey, David, thank you so much for being so generous with your time tonight. One thing we do want to leave folks with before we wrap up, though, is just some recommendations of our favorite experiences or games we've had thus far in VR. Uh, David, what would you recommend? What are some of the best times or experiences you've had in VR so far? Well, there are two things that I, I think of right away. Well, besides the the the, um, the Vader Immortal, which I was blown away by, if you, if you want to do something with, with fighting of some sort, um, a lot of it's skill-based. I don't think you can actually die. So it's really more of a training, at least the first two are. Um, I really like the game Moss, M-O-S-S, mm-hmm. where you're um, very magical. It's a it's a, basically a sit-down VR experience and um, very immersive, beautiful, um, uh, non-stressful. Although, for me, kind of frustrating just because I'm not really good at controlling a character with a joystick so you're basically controlling this character you're seeing in vr you know left right turn turn and do things like that i i'm used to point and click adventure games where you just click where you want the character to go and they'll find their way there um and it would have been nicer if there was a mode like that for us people uh, those of us who are not great at at using joysticks in that way um uh, the other thing i've been doing a lot often when i 
do demos uh, with friends here. The first thing I might show them is um, Coco VR, which is not a game. It's really came out with a movie Coco from Pixar, and it's um, you can play it on. I don't know if it's on PlayStation or not. Probably not. But it was it was built for the Quest. I mean for 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 Rift, for Oculus. Um, and there is a um, you can you can play this on on Vive if you get Revive, which is software which kind of converts uh, Rift games over to for, for HTC Vive. Um, but you're basically in the environment, you're exploring, and it's again it's beautiful, it's very layered, um, fun exploration type of experience. And so for anyone who's seen the movie, you feel like you're there inside the film, and and it's very magical, and it's a great first time experience for someone who you know who doesn't like vr if you want to convince your wife that um (laughs) if she's not a player game player this is something that will you know blow her away um or blow anyone away i mean i was blown away um so i did that with you know annie loved that as an experience um so those are two that i thought were very cool um i i don't really play shoot 'em up games much, so I, I can't give a huge recommendation for one of those, like which is the best one out there. But these two are fun. Well, obviously, um, I also really liked um, um, Beat Saber. Um, yeah, that's yeah. I, I my understanding is this that's the first platinum VR game, the first game to have sold a million copies, oh. and and. Um, there was a great talk at at um, OC6 uh, from the guys who created that, and those those videos might be online. You might be able to, to see some of those. Um, but you know, it's a very small team, a lot huge amount of time into polish. Um, the, the concept is so simple that you think they just threw it together, but they, you know, huge amount of testing with thousands of people to to, to refine it over over. A couple years, I think, until they got something which just felt, you know, very intuitive and easy to use, and and great gradient, so you feel like you are doing it right from the from the start, and then taking it on up to super high levels. Um, that's probably a must-have VR uh, game for anyone who has a system. Awesome, Lucas. What would you recommend to the dear listener? Well, I don't know what to recommend. I more did it by experiences and memorability, I guess, like how, how some of the stuff that I remember like affecting me. And uh, for instance, it's actually not even a game. It's an experience, sort of a movie called Wolves in the Walls. Uh, every once in a while, I'll just download stuff that's on Oculus Home for free that I haven't checked out. And this is kind of like a um, fairy tale sort of about a little girl who's in her house with her family. It's very cartoonistic looking. And um, you're kind of her imaginary friend. If I remember right, she draws you into existence. And in the beginning, you can see her like drawing your eyes because they're, she's like right up close to your eyes and drawing circles. And it, it was really cool. And one of the things uh, that I remember, she's explaining about how she thinks there's wolves in the walls of her house. And she has you like sit down next to her on a rug in the 
I don't even know if she tells you to. I don't think she does, but she sits down and I just felt compelled to sit down with her. So imagine anybody who just walked in this room and I'm wearing this headset, you know, looking at this <laughs> to me, imaginary little girl who's talking to me. I'm her friend. We're sitting on this rug together in her attic or whatever. I don't know. It was really cool. And one of the first cinematic experiences that felt really natural and just almost like that Disney or Pixar magic that, that, that comes with that. Um, so yeah, that was wolves in the walls. Uh, another one, I don't know if I can recommend this game, but the game is called dread halls. It's a scary game in which you basically are, are going through a labyrinth and it was one of the first experiences that I tried that had like the touch, uh, Oculus touch controllers and you could lean around the walls and this labyrinth is filled with scary creatures and I have never played a game that has elicited a response of fear from me so much than this game. It I can't finish it because it doesn't look the greatest. It it looks good enough. It has a lot of uh, lighting uh, effects that really sell it. But as far as like the monsters and stuff go, they're not you know going to win any awards. But they work. Uh, and there's monsters uh, like gargoyle statues that only move when you're not looking at them. So when you turn around, you're trying to figure out which door to go to or something like that, and you see the statue in the corner, and then you turn over and you look a little bit over to your left and you turn back to your right and it's moved. You know, that's just one aspect of the game messing with you along with um, this witch lady apparition who follows you around and all these other sounds and stuff that, that happen in this game. And man, it really just, I can't, finish that game <laughs> i can only play it for like 15 minutes at a time before i'm just like okay it's enough i always talk myself up to playing it and then i'm like oh i can't do it just give me the name again so i can avoid it <laughs> uh, dread halls dread halls <laughs> uh and then the as far as like shooter games go um i played my really only multiplayer game in oculus and it was called dead and buried and what it was is like a western where you're dueling each other you have a countdown and you have to be the first to draw and shoot accurately and what i what was really interesting about this game was everybody who was playing it they had oculus has like a microphone built in the rift does and most people don't have that disabled but most people on there would talk to me like they knew it was an open mic but they were just chilling and they would talk and it wasn't your typical online experience where people are just swearing at you randomly it was actually very chill and even though we we're going head to head people were very amic amicable about it they nobody really cared who won or lost it was just like oh man you got me good job it was it was really strange and kind of surreal to to just kind of be chilling with this not hyper violent but definitely a violent um uh, action playing out in front of you because you could have up to like four people. So the other two people would just be watching and you would play round robin against each other. Um, but there was a lot of attention to detail and just the multiplayer aspect worked really well. And I thought that was a really cool idea. And since then, they've already made a second game, I believe, or it's coming out. So um, other than that, I've played other games that have worked really well. Racing games seem to, to go really well. It's hard to go from a racing game where you put the, the rift on and you can look around as you're driving like you naturally do. You know, you look into turns when you're driving a real vehicle and as you're playing a game, you want to do that, but it's really hard because you're just stuck staring at a screen. So 
um, those experiences have been really positive too. really any of the cockpit experiences, so to speak. Very cool. I just have a couple things I'm going to mention. Mine are all games. Uh, PSVR does have some quote unquote experiences that they release, especially with, you know, the Spider-Man movies and things like that. None of them are super great. <laughs> so I appreciate that they try. That's good. Uh, one thing that always does throw me off, though, and I haven't actually done it yet, but I should, is every time I log into Hulu on my PS4, it says, do you want your traditional experience or the PSVR experience? Uh, yes. And I and I have yet to tr- watch Hulu in PSVR because I'm watching a very uh, show from the early thousands right now, and I don't feel like that would be great in VR. <laughs> so, um, But we'll see. Eventually, maybe someday I'll do that. But the games I want to talk about really briefly um tetris effect uh as somebody who you know as a gamer tetris is a very standard game that most of us have played i never thought tetris was a game that could help make me feel emotional and tetris effect just does something and one of the reasons i like recommending this from a or why it's such a good experience is that it very clearly shows the difference since you can play this not in vr how much better this game is while you're in vr the vr experience mm-hmm. makes this game go from a, yeah, that's Tetris, to this is a Game of the Year contender the year that it came out. Uh, so Tetris Effect, I think, is a great example of a fun experience, something that I play pretty regularly still. Uh, another game that kind of fits in that same mold of showing you the difference between playing a game on a flat screen versus in VR, because this is on just about everything, is Thumper. I really enjoy Thumper. I'm a big fan of rhythm games in general or that style of game. And, you know, I... Playing it in VR and then trying to play it on a flat screen with not in VR, it's night and day. You know, I talked the game up so much and then I had friends who got it that didn't have VR and they're like, hey, this is nothing special. And I'm like, but you don't understand. You don't understand. It's so good um, in VR. So Thumper is amazing. High recommendation there. Uh, And then the other two briefly, one of them is one that is getting a ton of love. And so it probably doesn't need me to heap any more on it. But just Astrobot Rescue Mission. Uh, as far as platformers go, I think it is easily one of the best platformers released this console generation uh, in VR or not. That game has so much charm, so much whimsy, uh, and is such a great experience in a really cool way that helped me realize that I prefer third-person VR experiences to first-person. I would really? Much, yeah, I love third-person VR because Moss that David talked about, too, is a game I adore. I love third-person VR games. I don't know why. I, I, I just prefer them. I remember when I was first looking at up experiences, people were like, well, how's a third person experience going to work? I don't want that. I want all the first person stuff. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I have no problems playing third person games. Lucky's Tale was like my first one. And it, again, a very whimsical game where you can just freely look around the environment. And it's so fun to just be able to to do that. I don't know. It's like a diorama in front of you that you yeah. can check out as close as you want. And that's the cool thing about Moss because it is every little puzzle is like a diorama where you're looking around and up and down and figuring out how am I going to solve this puzzle? Where do I need to go? Um, so, yeah, another great game. Uh, final one I want to mention really briefly uh, is a game that doesn't get a lot of love. It was one of the first games I ever played in VR, and it's a type of game I don't usually like. I'm not much of a god game person, uh, but the game Tethered. Oh, yes, it, I've played this. Yeah, I really enjoyed Tethered, and I think that just... You have these little imps, meeps, I don't even know what to call them, but these little characters that you assign jobs and they go out and they get resources and are trying to build up their village. And then at night they get attacked and you're trying to do everything you can to save them. And like David was talking about, 
with the dragons, when they when things go bad, they just look at you yeah. for help. They're just <laughs> staring at you like, help me. And you're like, I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can to help you. And yeah, Tethered, I think, is a game that came out really early uh, in the VR cycle. And I am not a God game fan, but just because of how you interact with everything, how you move everything around, and just how darn cute those little guys are that you're working with, uh, I really enjoyed the experience that Tethered gave me. So I want to add one more. Yeah. Um, since it's Lucas based or Lucas inspired by, which is um, a guy named Luke had been working on this fan fan created version of Rescue on Fractalus for the last ten years, and he has a version of it that works on Mac or, or Windows, but he also created a VR version, and it's free download. Um, I put the URL for the VR version in the in the notes, and um. He did a really good job. I, I ended up talking with him um, via email um, maybe six months ago and actually gave him – I dug up and found the chart that I created that gave the different um, parameters for each of the levels, like you know what things change as, as you go through the levels, and, and sent it to him. So he actually updated his version to match the original from that point of view. And he also talked to um, – Lauren Carpenter and Charlie Kellner to get more information about how to actually create the fractals in a way that looked like the original game. And it's scarily close to how I imagined it should be in my mind. And when I think about the game, that's how it looks. Um, and it, if, if you don't want to download, at least take a look at the videos that he has up um, to see the gameplay. It's, it's um, really, really cool. Um, I mean, he, he originally wanted to do something which matched the game. So there are all sorts of things you could do on top of it if you want, if, if you wanted to, but, um, as a start, um, you take a look and, and the VR version is experimental. That would be windows only. Um, but it's worth checking. It's worth checking out. I don't think you need a super high end PC to do it either. So cool. I always um, love free experiences <laughs> personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, thank you again so much, David, for joining us. Uh, where can people keep up with you and all the things you're doing? Well, you could probably, where I'm probably most active in social media is on Twitter. And I'm David B. Fox, B as in boy, D-A-V-I-D-B-F-O-X. Um, my website is electriceggplant.com. Um, not a whole lot new there, but that's you can at least see the, the stuff I've worked on in the past and um yeah i i i'm don't have enough so many people trying to message me that i can't i'm pretty good at, at responding to everyone unless i happen to not see it just ping me again and um yeah that's probably it i'm on facebook too um I just don't do a lot there as much all right hey lucas Thank yeah. you for letting me fill in for Kevin this week. You did an excellent job. Hey, me, I, I appreciate it. But uh, how can folks keep up with you and your dulcet tones? Uh, you know, I'm always hanging around <laughs> dulcet tones. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm always hanging around uh, Discord in our, uh, you know, respective channels or servers or whatever you call them there. But uh, I'm on Twitter as well at heavy metal underscore riff. And I do uh, another podcast called Flux Pose where we uh, are less about video games and more of a slice of life. So if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. 
Awesome. And you can find me at all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, all at Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. And please also, if you have not yet checked out the other podcast I do, Board with Video Games, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you did. We have over 100 episodes under our belt at this point. Nowhere near as many as Flux deposed, but we feel pretty good about what we're doing. Half the podcast is about board games, half the podcast is about video games, and you'd we'd really love it if you'd give it a listen. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.